Welcome back to the Three Amigos podcast brought to you by BloodyElbow.com. I'm your host, Steffi Haynes, joined as always by my faux Canadian counterpart, Mookie Alexander. And sitting in with us for the second edition of the Three Amigos Media Blitz is a mainstay in MMA media who currently writes for MMA Sucker, Mr. Mike Fagan. Mike, how the hell are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? I am fantastic. Mookie? Did we run out of guests? Everybody else like, <laughs> turn us down or something. Did you invite me on just to get that line out? Uh, he Maybe. invited you on because I asked him to. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited. This is my first time getting to speak to you, and I'm thrilled. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, we've butted heads in the past, but I always feel like I learned something from you, and I hope I learned something from you again today. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in with our first topic. And basically, this whole show is going to cover this past week, week and a half, uh, the lead up to 193, the, the, the actual event, the aftermath, etc. So my first uh, topic here is the UFC 193 card as a whole. How would you, what are your thoughts on it? How would you rank it, etc.? So I, I'm going to say that I give that card a... A solid seven and a half. There, there were some fights on there I, that I would not have agreed with on the main card, that being Stefan Struve and Jared Rochel. But overall, it was a pretty good card. I thought that uh, Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm delivered. I thought Joanna Champion and uh, Valerie Letourneau delivered. There were some really good fights on the card. I didn't like the way that they went with their post-fight bonuses. I, I would have given the... The fight of the night to Joanna and Valerie, but that's just me. Mike, what do you? What did you take away from this? Well, I, I should preface this. Uh, about a month ago, I got a text from my girlfriend, and she's like, uh, "My sister, who, her sister's in high school. Uh, she's in a uh, production of um, oh, what's the stupid name of the thing? Uh, Mary Poppins." And she's like, I, "I got tickets for my mom. We're going November fourteenth." And I'm like, November 14th, November 14th. And I checked uh, my calendar. I'm like, that's, that's UFC 193. It's not a great day, honey, to uh, book uh, Mary Poppins High School Productions. Um, but I ended up, you know, I went up going. And so I didn't get to see the whole card. I, uh, I jumped in uh, when uh, about a round into uh, Whitaker and Uriah Hall. Um, I missed Mark Hunt and Antonio Silva, and I'll let you guys try to figure out why I might have missed it. Uh, but then I saw the two main events. Um, so what, from what I saw, um, you know, you know, Robert Whitaker looks like a guy who you know can make some noise at, at 185. Um, you know, I, I think Uriah Hall showed that um, you know he he he's a tough dude. Um, you know, I think he's even in a loss uh, still a, a top 10 guy uh, at that weight. Um, but moving on to, to, the, to the main event and the stuff that I was most interested in anyway, uh, you know, Ioana and Jacek, the, the thing that I found interesting during the event and coming out of it is I've seen a lot of people talk about how her performance wasn't dominant. Uh, you know, obviously it wasn't as dominant as uh, her, her last few fights, but, you know, outside of that first round, uh, you know, Letourneau didn't do very much. And, you know, Michael Carroll of uh, Fight Metric uh, sort of passed this on to me earlier today. Uh, and Jacek landed 200 significant strikes at distance during the fight, which he said it only happened a couple times before. Um, so, you know, when you're landing that volume of strikes, um, you know, that's a pretty dominant performance. And, you know, really after that first round, like I said, Letourneau didn't really offer much. And, you know, Jacek wasn't 
I mean, outside of uh, you know one of those you know front kicks to the face, didn't really do anything to hurt her and, and put her in a lot of danger. But it was just that accumulation of damage, um, you know, sort of like Nick Diaz, in the sense of just you know continuing to pile on over 25 minutes. Um, but obviously, the, the main event was was the big one, and you know, and I was watching with my girlfriend, and she is a rabid Ronda Rousey hater, um, which I found. You know, I was talking to my jujitsu instructor about it today, and. He was saying that you know anyone that he knows who watches MMA, their girlfriend or wife, uh, you know if they watch kind of regularly, hates Ronda Rousey. And I, you know I don't know if that extends, uh, you know nationally, um, but I, you know it's an, an interesting little you know anecdote. But you know after that first round, I was like, okay, Holly Holm looks like she has something here. It looks like you know she's following the game plan that I saw people like Connor Rebush and, and Patrick Wyman and Jack Slack kind of uh, you know hoping that she would implement, um, you know with. You know, staying at distance, using her footwork, uh, keeping Ronda, you know, acting as a matador basically and keeping Ronda away from her. And even when uh, they had to clinch, you know, Holm did it on her terms and took Ronda down. Um, and, you know, people that might be surprised about that, you only got to look at Alexander Gustafson doing it to John Jones. And in other cases like that where a high level uh, wrestler or judo player gets taken down. But really the moment that really turned it around for me was that punch that Ronda threw and then she ended up kind of falling to a knee and turning around. And, I mean, you could tell right there that that was not the same Ronda Rousey that we were used to seeing. And, you know, that, that head kick that Holly landed was beautiful. I mean, uh, you know, Ronda was clearly gassed or hurt or both and, you know, turned away from Holly and Holly just rang her up with a, with right on the shin, on the chin and – you know, seeing a high level in their prime athlete who's been as dominant like Ronda, seeing someone like that go out cold is a very unique and rare experience and uh, something that I probably won't ever forget. Yeah, uh, as far as the, the quality of the main card, because I thought the prelims were pretty fun. The main card, uh, it, I could take it or leave it. It was it was okay. Um, Struve Rorschelt was one of the worst fights of the year, and that's somehow not even the worst Jared Rorschelt fight of the year. Um, <laughs> Mark Hunt versus Bigfoot probably went according to plan. Uh, I really don't see much of a reason to see uh, Antonio Silva again. Hall Whitaker was actually not too bad. Uh, Whitaker definitely hurt Uriah Hall more than just about any other fighter we've seen, so that's a positive sign. Uh, I I would have actually picked Whitaker to beat Bisping, and I stupidly picked Hall to beat Whitaker, but uh, that's beside the point. Whitaker being a, uh, a young guy, he's in his early 20s uh, as a potential contender at middleweight. That's a, a good sign for the health of that division. Uh, yet Jacek, I guess people are just are not calling it a dominant performance because it, it's sort of the equivalent of if Stephen Curry scored like 39 points in one game, 43 in the second game, and then 28 points in the third game. Third game is still really, really good, wouldn't it? but when it compare it to what we've seen in the past, it just doesn't feel like uh, something that's absolutely phenomenal viewing. I thought it was a, a good performance by Jacek, and then the uh, fact that she had the broken hand sort of at least partially explains why she wasn't as aggressive as in past fights. The main event, uh, that completely blew me away. After round one, I figured uh, Rousey was in serious trouble, but I didn't think it would end that quickly. This was one of those fights where the justification for an immediate rematch is purely a business sense because the gap between Rousey and Holm 
skill-wise, looked absolutely remarkably large, just like uh, Dillashaw versus Viral. I think that's the closest analog we have right now. Uh, I don't think this is like the biggest UFC upset of all time. Matt Serra still holds that record. But Holly Holm, that's one of the best performances by a title challenger to dethrone a champion I think we've ever seen. Now, let's talk for a second about Rousey versus Holm in a technical aspect. And and I want to talk about their coaching and the footwork, because I think those two things matter. You know, Ronda has notoriously been embroiled in this tiny touch of, you know, uh, a room around, a, a scandal around, whatever, because her coach, Edmund Tarvedian, uh, everybody says that she wins in spite of him, that, you know, he doesn't really do anything, but uh, according to her mother, but leech off of her. Uh, he's embroiled in his own scandal with uh, the, the the IRS and everything else. And then you have Holly Holm on the other side, who has the most sound coaching team probably on the planet. Um, and her footwork was amazing, whereas Ronda Rousey's was severely lacking. So I, I want to get Mike and Mookie's take here um, on the technical aspects of that fight. So, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, on, on my show last week, I um, I sort of said one of the X factors, if Holm was going to win, I think one of the X factors was going to be the coaching and, and the game plans, that, that how they played out. And, you know, you, you saw that in the fight where, you know, Rousey had no answer for Holmes' angles and her footwork and the distance that she was keeping. You know, Holmes was managing the distance, and Rousey was content to chase after her, um, and and really seemed like she had no idea how to counter you know that that movement and that footwork. Um, you know, and that's what you know that's what led to you know her rushing in and and Holmes kind of stopping her with a straight left or a jab and. Uh, you know, we've seen in, in her two UFC fights prior to this that Holm hasn't shown a whole ton of power. Um, but when you have someone basically just running into your your punches and kicks, that's going to add a bunch of force to, to what you're getting hit with. Um, but the other thing that I thought was, was especially egregious was in between rounds where Rousey went back to the corner. Uh, you know, Edmund basically told her, you know, you, you, you gotta, you're doing beautiful out there. You got, her right when you, you got her right where you want her. And, and didn't really offer any sort of technical uh, advice in, in terms of what to do to counter what Holm was doing um, or, or even really just telling her what Holm was doing, period. Um, and then after the fight, I'm, I'm sure you guys both saw this quote where Edmund had said, you know, I, I don't think Holm got the better round of striking. I, I'll have to watch the fight again, but I just didn't see it. And it's I, what fight were you watching? Um, you know, the thing that's been said about Edmund – and what he's done for Rousey is that he's made her a better puncher, and I think that that's probably true. Um, but he certainly hasn't made her a better boxer or striker, um, and you know I think that's part of what um, played into this. Um, and I guess there's stuff uh, about that that I think um, you know going into the rematch, if there is one, if I'm if I'm in Rousey's camp, I don't want her taking the home fight right away because I don't think she can make up the the difference in their technical ability standing i don't think she can make that up in six months i don't think that's something that you can just work in the gym and you're going to be able to show up six months from now and you know have a whole different game plan on the feet i think you want to take a fight against you know if the ufc is willing to do the tate fight um to do that or or basically anyone else in the division be able to use that as ring time and and really kind of 
using that is is a is a way to improve Ronda for the home fight. You know, a, a year from now. I think the biggest indictment uh, out of this fight is just the quality of MMA cornering, especially for Rousey's opponents, because I believe this is the first time that Rousey has faced an opponent whose coach is Greg Jackson, or or from one of the major camps. I believe Dave Doyle brought this up uh, on Twitter as well, that nobody from American Top Team or, or, or Black Zillions or, or um, Jackson Winklejohn during her UFC run. And Tarverdian was just absolutely out of his depth. I, I mentioned on Sunday, I believe, that he reminds me of Tim Lane, who was Chris Algieri's trainer uh, for the Pacquiao fight. And Algieri was getting destroyed by Pacquiao. And in, like in the 10th round or so, uh, Max Kellerman was interviewing Lane. And Lane was saying that uh, we're going to wait for him. I'm going to let him out of the cage soon. He's going to knock him out. He's going to knock him out in the later rounds. And then literally seconds later, Pacquiao knocked him down for the sixth time. And that pretty much describes Tarverdian for me. He just, and Joe Rogan actually touched upon this earlier. He called him a good boxing coach, or, or at least more of a boxing coach than an all-around MMA coach. And, well, the only way for Rousey to go is to probably leave Tarverdian because I don't see her game improving much if she stays there. And that's a case where... As, as Mike said, if there is an immediate rematch, uh, I don't see what she can do over the next few months, especially if she stays at Glendale, that suggests that the outcome will be any different. Now, real quick, just a follow-up question here. Uh, if you were to make a fight for Rousey as a tune-up fight, or as not even a tune-up fight, I, I don't really like to use that word in, in, in mixed martial arts because really everybody's got a 50-50 chance unless, you know, well, we'll just leave it at that. Everybody's got a 50-50 chance. My point being, if you were to make a fight for Ronda Rousey, what fight would you make? In my opinion, and, and this touches down on what Mookie was just talking about with Ronda never having faced anyone from a real camp, I would set her up with Amanda Nunez because it accomplishes two things. It gives her a matchup with somebody from a real camp because I believe Nunez trains with ATT, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And the other thing is it allows Ronda to fight a real striker not named Holly Holm. Uh, Mike? Yeah, I don't think that's a, a bad idea. Um, you know, I would worry. You know, the thing that Rousey doesn't want to get herself into is two losses in a row. Um, that is going to really hurt her career in the long run, if not end it. Um, you know, kind of knowing what we know about uh, Ronda and her sort of post-fight uh, career aspirations. You know, I wouldn't mind something like a rematch against Kaufman, um, even a rematch against Ngano. Um, I, I think the Tate fight makes a ton of sense because. That's a yes, that's sir. A, yes, sir. I, I love that yeah. idea. It's a, I, it's a big fight with you know history behind it. The only thing that kind of throws a wrench in that is if if Ronda doesn't want to take the home rematch right away, Tate makes the most sense to be fighting home. And you know if Tate wins and you get another big rematch with Rousey for the belt, um, I think Tate is you know outside of Rousey the the most marketable woman in the division. Um, so, you know, if they can't do the Tate fight, then, you know, Zingano, Kaufman, I think those are, you know, they're, they're both top five. Um, you know, I think the other thing that that Rousey and, you know, God forbid she stays with Edmund, but, you know, one of the things that, that they would really need to do if they took a fight against someone else, you know, not Tate or Holm, 
really focus on getting the ring time in. Um, you know, I think she did herself a, a disservice when she, this is such a weird thing to say, but when she knocked out Betch so quickly, because that's time that you can use to really see the improvements in your striking game, uh, how they play out against someone who is actually fighting back and it's not just a sparring session in the gym. Why would they make Rousey versus Tate 3? Dana White already said everybody's seen the Misha fight. <laughs> well, and Tate should retire anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great job throwing Tate under the bus there, Dana. Another one, another one in your cap. Anyway, um, uh, I just before I answer this question, I just want to go back a little bit. The, uh, as far as MMA cornering, like Greg Jackson, I, Greg Jackson is a fantastic coach, fantastic cornerman. And when you compare Rousey's past opponents, the odds of a Greg Jackson coach fighter, not named Diego Sanchez, uh, trying, some, trying something like Kat Zingano did, very, very slim. Uh, Jackson is a fantastic tactician and that's how he can make even I guess not necessarily the, the better fighter on paper uh, manage to win fights on a consistent basis uh, as far as Rousey's next route if she doesn't rematch home it's tough because she's beaten so many of the top 15 and pretty easily so take three is, a, is an obvious option no matter uh, how much Dana White doesn't want it. Uh, Amanda Nunez is also a great option because Nunez is quite... Only loss, I believe, is Kat Zingano. Nunez has uh, been on a roll lately. Then you also have, and this is risky because she is a prospect, uh, Juliana Pena, who is, I think, 3-0 and in the UFC and at least uh, is pretty close friends with Misha Tate. And Pena, uh, I believe, was plan B in case home pulled out of the fight at UFC 193. So if they want to... Wreck Pena's uh, career arc early. Uh, I guess they can book that fight too. Now let's talk a little bit about the implications to Ronda's legacy and if there is some permanent damage here or if this is going to be a blemish that's easily corrected down the road. Does it all come down to how she handles things from here or has she done enough damage with her antics over the past year, year and a half to really make this a, a difficult situation to rectify uh i personally think that if she flies the straight and narrow from this moment out wins all her fights uh, however many you know dana white came out last week and said something like he felt like uh ronda would fight five or six more times i honestly don't think we see more than three fights out of her and if she wins all three of those fights and if she puts on her best pr face and tries to keep her silly comments to herself a little bit better i think that she can you know pretty much erase all the bad stuff from from the past uh However, knowing Rhonda, <laughs> I don't know that she'll be able to do that. Uh, I, I don't want to put any salt on it. I just hope that she can get herself together a little bit better than she has in the past. Mike? Well, this is a, this is a very interesting you know, thing to look at uh, you know, going forward. Um, you know, Rhonda, you know, like you said, <clears throat> six fights seems pretty ambitious. Uh, you know, Anderson Silva a couple years ago signed a 10-fight extension. I think he's on fight two or three of that deal. <clears throat> I don't think we're getting all 10 of those fights. Um, you know, the, the thing that I've been thinking a lot about uh, since Saturday is sort of uh, parallels to other big upsets or, or surprising uh, title wins like this. And, you know, I think it really comes down to whether she can rebound like St. Pierre did uh, when he lost to, to Matt Serra 
or whether this is like a, a Bahao Dillashaw situation where we saw uh, the the heavily favored champ lose and lose badly, uh, and then came back, you know, picked up a win, got the rematch, and got beat up again. Um, it, you know, there's so many different variables in the play when it comes to her long term legacy because, like you said. I don't think she's got more than three fights in her, um, let alone six. And if you know, if she goes out and, and either you know loses again or loses the home again or really can't take the title back, um, you know, I think that changes her, her legacy long term. I think the fact that she sort of ushered in this era of women's MMA is you know she cemented that legacy. Um, you know, but going into the home fight, you know, we suspect we everyone expected that she was going to fight maybe a year, two years, maybe three years more, win all those fights, maybe on that last fight, fight Cyborg and cement her legacy. And that's all changed now. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting things coming out of the fight um, in, in terms of the rematch, uh, the online uh, gambling books open Rousey as a minus 300 favorite, and she's already down to minus 137 on one site, uh, minus 210 on another. So there's a lot of money early. Coming in on home, and I assume that's mostly sharp money. That's you know usually who bets these sort of futures. Um, and you know from what we saw on Saturday, you know unless and kind of going back to to what I was saying in the last question, you know unless she can make those technical adjustments, I don't know if she beats Holly home. And it, you know that in that case, it looks more like a Dillashaw Bahal situation. And, and if that's the case. Um, you know, like I said, I think she she still has that legacy in terms of ushering in this era. Um, but the the sort of legacy legacy that she had been building about being the most dominant female athlete of all time, and sort of, you know, I, I think some people would be, you know, if she had continued to win and ended her career undefeated, I think some people would have tried to argue that she was the greatest UFC fighter of all time. But that's that is all out the window at this point. Um, and you know, the best that she can do is try to rebound like St. Pierre did, but I don't think she has the longevity in the sport, uh, to, to kind of make up, uh, you know, for the loss, like, like George did against, uh, Matt Serra. No, when we were talking about Ronda's legacy coming into this fight, it was supposed to be if she can retire undefeated and with the assumption that she faces Chris Cyborg in her final fight. And now that Rousey's lost, the other sort of interesting thing I, I see here is this may be considered a loss for Cyborg because Cyborg isn't in the UFC now and there is a there's not really much incentive for the UFC to bring Cyborg into the UFC because she was brought the purpose of trying to set up Rousey versus Cyborg and specifically at 135 was to prove that Rousey can outstrike or at least beat the best striker uh, in women's MMA, or at least someone who's been considered the best record in women's MMA and the best 145 in women's MMA history. Uh, and then Holly Holm came in, the best striker Rousey has faced to date, and Holm absolutely obliterated her. So that's one question out the window. And it also calls into question exactly why Rousey versus Cyborg has sort of been delayed for so long. Um, I think her legacy now has shifted to she pretty much has to beat Holm in the rematch. Otherwise, Hindsight will say that yes, she is one of the best. Uh, she is one of the best women's MMA fighters of all time. She's one of the pioneers of the sport. She's a big reason why there's uh, a, a women's two women's divisions and possibly a third in the UFC. But um, 
if she doesn't beat Holm, that is a really, really uh, down note for her career because she doesn't have too many fights left. And things would be different if, because how old is she now? 28, 29 years old? 28. 28. If she had four or five more years to, to really build up her legacy, get 25 fights down and, and finish like, if, if she finished like 24 and one, then the home fight would, would lessen uh, as far as impacting her legacy. But this would end up being too fresh in everybody's minds for her to have only two or three more fights. And that home loss will just be ringing and will be in the memory of everyone because of how big it got and how mainstream it became. Now, real quick, and this is going to be a one-word answer for, for both of you. If you could choose a camp for Rhonda to go to to help you know improve her game, not named Greg Jackson. You have to pick a camp not named Greg Jackson. Which camp do you choose? I'm going to go with a striker's camp, so I'm going to go with maybe Duke Rufus or Black Zillions. Mike? Um, I don't know. I think I, I think someone like Matt Hume would do her well. Um, you know, I think that's a camp where Hume is a respectable trainer. Um, he doesn't have a huge roster, um, so he can devote a lot of time to her. Uh, it's on the West Coast, so she you know really wouldn't have to go too far out of her way. Um, you know, and obviously we've seen what he's been able to do with you know with Demetrius Johnson. Um, you know, uh, it would be very interesting because I think in a lot of ways Matt Hume is is a similar kind of trainer as uh, Greg Jackson. And if you can't get Jackson, that's sort of the next best option for her. I would actually uh, go with King's MMA uh, because what that's Rafael Cordero, right? So, uh, and we've seen how Cordero has completely transformed uh, the striking capabilities of Verdum and Dos Anjos and, and even Pedro Munoz to some extent. So that's really the most important missing piece of her game she's dominated everyone with what appears to be a, a clearly flawed skill set as home exposed but if she shores those uh, flaws up going to a camp like king's mma then things will be much different and we will see uh, a much better rousey all right I, I i like that idea mookie now moving on Rhonda. one thing that i noticed a- after the fight is there were throngs, literal throngs of people, uh, both before and after. People saying, you know, I, I know Ronda's going to win, but I'm really pulling for, for Holly here. And then when it happened, there were so many people gloating. The, the schadenfreude was palpable. It was incredible. I couldn't believe fighters, uh, fans, some media personalities. I mean, people were rejoicing. So my question here is where do you think she went wrong with the fans in the lead-up? Is it one specific moment that you can recall? Or do you think it's accumulation of all of the moments? I personally think that there's some accumulation, you know, with her comments, uh, uh, the do-nothing bitches thing, the the sandbox thing, uh, the the lube thing, the, the, the Travis Brown thing. I mean, maybe Travis Brown, you know, we always have to use the word alleged, and that is true. We don't know what happened with him and his wife, but what we do know is he is not divorced and Ronda Rousey is the other woman so she's viewed kind of as a homewrecker and then you have the weigh-in and the weigh-in listen in my personal opinion Ronda went in there like a bully she went in there like a bull in a china shop she rushed Holly home and she got pissed off because Holly home defended herself that's how I saw it and I think that was what basically the straw that broke the camel's back Mike how do you see things 
Well, you know, when I saw this on the uh, the show notes, I've been thinking about it a lot and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where things have started to turn, if, if they have turned. Um, because if you look back, you know, you only have to go back to the second Tate fight where people were cheering Misha Tate in that fight and people were booing Ronda Rousey. And, you know, I think Ronda at that point was willing to kind of put that black hat on and, and kind of play that, that villain role. Um, and obviously we all remember, you know, the infamous non-handshake and, and all that. Um, but I don't know if there was something going on behind the scenes with her team, um, you know, a, a sort of concerted effort to try to make her more likable. Um, I think, you know, I think a, a, one of the big reasons that we've seen her get so popular is the sort of network effects uh, from her association with Hollywood. Um, you know, her last few fights, the day or two leading up to it, you see, you know, social media stuff from The Rock and, and other people that she, you know, Sylvester Stallone and all these other people that she knows through Hollywood. And I think that's sort of created this this tidal wave of support that she's gotten. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of her popularity is with people who are outside, you know, the sport itself in terms of very casual viewers, maybe people who only watch Ronda Rousey fights. And, you know, they don't always pay attention to some of the stuff that she's been saying. Uh, you know, I've written extensively about it uh, at MMA Sucka. And, you know, people just sort of don't know those, you know, childish sort of bratty things that she said. And, and, and the other thing, too, with, with the things that she said over the last year, year and a half is, you know, I think she honestly thinks that that the things that she's saying and and the the messages that she's sending are are helpful and that they're they're positive messages. And then she gets called out on it, and she kind of throws a tantrum about it. You know, the the stuff with the uh, the lube comment and Maxim was a perfect example where uh, you know she said this thing. It's it's really bad sex advice, and she got called out on it. And then she turned she turned on women and she said, you know. I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. You're, you know, you have a sandbox, which you know isn't gonna win you any favors. But back to you know what you were you were asking about. I even I was surprised at the sort of reaction to the loss because I feel like over the last year, the stuff that I've written about Ronda, I, I feel like I'm a lone voice uh, a lot of the time because, uh, you know, I, I see people who aren't fans of MMA, you know, cheering her on and rooting her on and. Uh, you know, hashtag and still uh, leading up to all of her fights. And, um, you know, I don't know if if the backlash is specifically, you know, core MMA fans um, that are just sort of happy to see her kind of get knocked down a peg. Um, but in, in terms of this fight specifically, I think, you know, if you follow, um, if you follow, you know, MMA Twitter, there are very few, if any, people that I saw saying anything negative about Holly Holm. Uh, they, you know, she seems like a hard worker. She seems super nice, super friendly. Uh, you know, I, like I said, no one really seems to say a bad word about her. And then, you know, kind of what you were talking about with the weigh-in, where you come in, bowl in a china shop, and kind of put home in that situation where she has to kind of put her arm up. And, you know, to me, from what I saw, it was Rousey that kind of forced the punch into herself. Um, and then to cut that promo on her, um, you know, maybe that had something to do with it. Um, but you know, I don't know. It's a weird thing because, you know, she, she wasn't liked and then, uh, you know, her, her team did a very good job of marketing her. Um, and you know, she became as popular as she is. Um, and now there's this weird backlash that I, I certainly wasn't expecting. Um, but, 
yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea if uh, if it's just an accumulation of, of the stuff that she said uh, or if there were things specific in the lead-up that uh, has kind of caused this reversal. Before I give my answer, and unfortunately we don't have a point of comparison because he hasn't lost since he, uh, the height of his popularity, but did anybody get the feeling, did either of you get the feeling that the reaction to Rousey's loss was similar or worse than any sort of hatred John Jones had ever received by yes, fans? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this was on par with John Jones running back for his money and then taking off after he'd broken that woman's arm in the car crash. It was that bad. It, it reminded me a lot of the you know the UFC 151 backlash. The thing that makes it a difficult thing to compare is that Jones has never been as popular as Rousey. Um, you know, he, he's arguably the you know second or third most popular guy in the UFC, but uh, you know, he never reached that same height as, as Rousey did. So, and, and he, John's never really been liked at any point in his career. Um, even, you know, even before he won the title and he, when he, when he first beat Shogun for it, he wasn't liked then. Yeah. He, he's the Cam Newton of MMA, honestly. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's a very good. good, very good analogy. But, uh, yeah, I think Rousey's become a victim of her own success a little bit because no other UFC fighter, not even Conor McGregor, has had this much mainstream attention in the U.S. And while the casuals may not be in the MMA circle and don't know about all of the things she says and, and, and some of the things that are, are off-putting to hardcores, I believe the hardcore fans, or, or at least the more knowledgeable MMA fans, sort of got tired of, of hearing about Ronda Rousey every single day and her every waking thought. And, and Definitely some of the things she says, the, the Lou comment in Maxim or, or comments on, on homeless people and, and, and everything else she said, those are on mainstream uh, magazines. Those are big magazines that even casual fans can read. So, and she has been taken to task recently. I was surprised to see that uh, Yahoo and I think one other site brought up the domestic violence or potential domestic violence incident with her ex-boyfriend in that book. Did you guys see uh, either of those articles? Yes. Yeah. I, I was. I, I thought there was a, one of the articles was written kind of in response to the Yahoo article, I believe, and she said something like, uh, "You know, no one's really talked about the fact that uh, Rousey basically admitted to domestic violence in her biography." And I'm like, half of the M- or the entire MMA community knows about it because it came up what a few weeks ago, a month ago. Yeah, it came up like last month. Although the book's been out for months, but you you may be surprised that I actually don't have that much time of the day to read to read these types of books at Barnes and Noble and never buy them. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot better things to do with your time before nine o'clock curfew. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in fact, we're we're, we're past my bedtime actually. But um, yeah, I think Rousey became a, a victim of her own success and. Her attitude at the weigh-ins and and the refusal to touch gloves that that sort of spurred it on a little bit. Uh, people consider bullies that when it's a bully versus angel type of story. Very rarely do people root for the bully. Now let's talk a little bit about Rhonda's personal life and celebrity status and how that may have come into play here with this loss. Uh, Rhonda has. 8,001 irons in the fire. She has, uh, you know, movie commitments, commercials, magazine commitments. I mean, she's literally doing everything under the sun. 
and she's got, you know, her personal life, which, you know, we touched down briefly earlier with her, her thing with uh, Travis Brown. Uh, she's got a, a coach that's embroiled in lots of legal kerfuffle. Uh, all kinds of things are going on. So how much does that play into this loss? And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say it, uh, maybe I'm going to call it 25%. That's what I'm going to call it. Mike? <laughs> Well, you know, it's hard to put a specific percentage on it. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if she had won, no one would have, you know, said anything about it in terms of uh, the, the distractions outside the cage. But she loses, and obviously people are going to point to that as, uh, you know, part of the downfall. Um, you know, without knowing, you know, what her training regimen was like, um, you know, if she was training as regularly as she was, um you know, it, it certainly can't be lack of preparation. Uh, obviously, you know, real life comes into play. I mean, athletes are, are real people with real problems, and you have uh, you sort of listed problem after problem that she's been dealing with going into this. In, in, you know, in addition to Edmund having the bankruptcy issue, her her mom was you know a month before the fight publicly, uh, you know, taking a crap on him. Um, you know. Athletes are, are people with with you know normal lives that have their own ups and downs, and you know whether that played a part in in the loss. It, it's it's really hard to say. Um, Allow but- me to say one thing. Let me just throw one word to you to maybe make this a little easier to answer. Pressure. Sure, but I mean, I, I, the thing I was going to say too is, you know, this is also a woman who competed in the Olympics. Um, this is someone who's competed at a high level of athletics basically her entire life but without all the added stuff though remember when she was in the olympics there weren't movie deals there wasn't a big you know brouhaha over who she was dating she wasn't even dating then there wasn't a brouhaha over her coach as a matter of fact edmund was not a factor in in her olympic career she was single-minded in her task so i i don't think that you can compare the two and i'm saying this very respectfully sir (laughs) (laughs) no i i no and i i I certainly don't. Uh, I don't disagree with the point. It's just that, you know, I, I guess I'm saying that too. While I'm also saying that she's a, a, a person with with real emotions, but um, I, I don't know. It, it's just it's really hard to kind of nail down what effect that stuff has without really knowing, you know, her day to day life. Because, uh, you know, if you don't have a regular day job, uh, you know, you, you can still devote your time to training. Um, you know, but maybe she was extended, you know, overextended with the the media commitments. In addition to you know the own stuff, her own stuff going in her personal life. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if she comments on any of that in the next few months, or perhaps when she fights again. Um, you know, the other issue we didn't talk about either was the whole uh, situation on the conference call where she clearly hung up, yeah. and then you know didn't want to comment on it, and then decided to say that her phone died. As if you call into a conference call with, you know, 2% battery and no charger and nobody else in the room with a phone. And, and that specific moment is when it dies. Yeah, it just happened <laughs> to die. You know, couldn't find anybody else with the phone in her house or, in, you know, wherever the hell she was. Um, yeah, and, you know, that reminded me, that moment reminded me, too, of when uh, uh, I think it was the, the Dos Santos Velasquez rematch where Goldberg had to pull out with his uh, mysterious illness. And the UFC couldn't comment on it for three weeks, and then we're like, "Oh yeah, he was sick. No big deal." Like, all right, that that makes sense. 
Also, one thing that I want to throw out there too, to maybe add to your uh, that that you could consider for part of your response here, is I don't think Rhonda has experienced as much backlash with anything she said prior to any other fight. So that could also add a lot of pressure in seeing that her fans are sort of turning against her a little more and more, as, with everything that she said publicly. Yeah, and the other inter- interesting thing about it too. Um, in terms of, of her going forward, kind of going back to that is, you know, she's sort of built this, this image and this aura of, of invincibility. And that is, that has been destroyed. I mean, we now know she's not invincible. Um, you know, it's not like she got beat. She got, she got knocked out and, you know, there's a whole bunch of psychological issues with that. I mean, another reason you might not want to face home right away is, uh, do you really want to face the woman that, put you out cold in your first fight uh is that something that you can mentally get over because you know she's never been knocked out before ever and you know she's lost before and she lost in the olympics i mean she's had to deal with defeat but there's it's a whole different thing uh you know losing versus getting knocked out in in a cage fight yeah this is a case where uh as as steffi mentioned i've never seen this much backlash and actual criticism and not just from mma media but Mainstream people who largely don't really watch MMA, but they're, they're, I'm seeing a lot of lampooning of Ronda and a lot of, uh, of, of, of just general mocking and, and joy in her, in her failure. And I, yeah, if she rematches home, I don't think that would be a wise decision necessarily from a, from a sporting context. Uh, obviously, they got to do it as a business sense because we're going to get to the next subject as the UFC knows that Rousey is the biggest star and as far as her personal life and everything is concerned, maybe it did play a role. I don't think, because we don't know her personally, that's just all speculative and I don't really feel like uh, making comment there. But the UFC realizes that she is the biggest star they've had uh, pretty much ever, biggest mainstream star for sure. And they're running an interesting risk here if Rousey loses back-to-back fights with home because that's sort of a point of no return, I think. Now that brings us to the next point here, and what that is, what does this mean to the UFC? The UFC has literally millions and millions of dollars invested in Ronda Rousey. Uh, not in that fight, in Ronda Rousey. Yeah, they had some 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 money invested in, in the promotion of the fight, but basically the promotion of that fight was the promotion of Ronda Rousey, and that's how Don't forget it, fake Herb Dean. <laughs> 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 But anyways, you know, they have so much invested in Ronda Rousey uh, on a whole, you know, over the whole length of her career that, you know, I want to know what you guys think it means to them. I think they took quite a hit with this. And Dana's expression, both when it first happened, because someone got a picture of him when it first happened, all the way into when he was in the cage and he puts the belt on Holly, I mean, I never saw him smile. I, to this moment, I've not seen him congratulate Holly. I have not seen Reebok congratulate Holly, although they did reach out to Ronda and say, oh, chin up, champ. You know, champions are made of this, this, and this. Not They're not made of Holly Holm, you know? <laughs> so um, basically, I, you know, let's find out what Mike and Mookie think. So Mike, take it away. Well, there's the obvious short-term implications of this. Um, I, I, I think this in the short term, isn't going to be as bad as people might think. Um, you know, if they do book the home rematch, it's going to be a huge fight. Just like the Weidman Silva rematch was a huge fight. Um, 
if they go a different route, you know, Ronda still has a certain uh, charisma to her where, you know, whatever fight she comes back with, it's going to be her, her quote unquote comeback fight. Um, uh, you know, long term, though, that's where the interesting thing comes into play. I mean, you said, uh, you know, they have a lot of money invested in her specifically. Um, I'm sure they had a plan with how they wanted to, you know, kind of round out her career, um, you know, whether that was three fights or six fights. But I think the other interesting thing about this, and, uh, you know, it's something that we won't probably be able to measure, um, but. What, how this is going to affect the UFC when their TV deal with Fox runs out? Because that deal, I believe, has two or three more years. You know, depending on, I think it was three years left, and you know, depending on how they uh, sort of manage Rosie's career, you know that that was going to, you know, her, the end of her run was going to be right around the same time as a new TV deal. And we've seen ESPN do a lot of. Flirting with the UFC in terms of uh, you know bringing Dana White on, covering the sport more than they they have been, especially covering Ronda. Um, you know, it really seems like ESPN is going to be interested in making a play when the Fox deal runs up. Um, but is this going to affect the UFC uh, and their ability to bring money in if you know Ronda is out of the sport sooner than they thought? If Ronda can't regain the title and, and her status, and uh, you know she's sort of a diminished brand. Um, because I, I think that's sort of the long-term uh, angle that you got to look at. You know, the, the pay-per-view business. Obviously, if you know if she can't beat home and she can't regain the title, that's going to take a hit. The UFC also has a big fight coming up next month with a guy in Conor McGregor, where if he loses to Jose Aldo, uh, especially if he loses, um, you know, in a similar fashion or in in maybe like a Yajacek, uh Laterno fashion, you know, he becomes a diminished brand. Um, you know this the, this the, this year end uh, marketing push that they had could wind up being a very sad tale for them if Rousey and McGregor lose and heading into 2016 their two biggest stars of 2015 are coming off losses. You bring up McGregor and and that's sort of what I want to uh, get my point towards is Rousey's obviously the biggest star, Conor McGregor is their second biggest star, and we have seen a shift. A considerable shift, and Patrick Wyman, uh, Bleacher Report, uh, talked about this in how they're marketing specific fighters, and Rousey and McGregor, are in, and then next in line are, are Paige Van Zant and Sage Northcutt. I mean, look at look at that fight pass show two days before USC 194. Van Zant's in the main event, uh, and then Sage Northcutt was just shoehorned into the main card, sort of like last moment. Even though they were just about booked, they moved another fight somewhere in the bottom of the barrel to UFC 195. And yet Aljamain Sterling, who's the number five ranked bantamweight, is deep on the prelims of a fight pass show. So you can see where they're targeting specific fighters that they think they got something, so they're going to push them. They're going to throw all their hyperbole and all the, the, the marketing buzzwords in there. And they definitely got hit hard by the fact that all this talk about Rousey being the most dominant athlete, female athlete ever, the most dominant athlete in sports, backfired on them. Uh, Sort of like, and, and this isn't really comparable because uh, he was never a draw, but sort of like when they promoted Barrow versus Dillashaw, Barrow literally fishes people. He, they called him the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, and that didn't work. I think they called Pettis the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world against Dos Anjos. That didn't work. So are they willing to repeat, to do this sort of thing over and over again, or is it just a case where it's a risk they have to take time and, and time out? 
Absolutely. Now, we're going to wrap these last couple of questions up fairly quickly here. The first one, uh, what does Rhonda's expected time off, and that's roughly eight months to a year, mean for Holly Holm? Does Holly Holm take a fight within that time, or does she wait for Rhonda? In my personal opinion, if it's within a year, I think Holly Holm waits. I think that the UFC, you know, sends her a nice little package with a check in it, says, hold tight, we got you, just sit tight. Mike? Um, yeah, I mean, it sort of depends on how long Rhonda wants to take off. Um, I wouldn't want to wait more than a year. Um, you know, she has a family to feed. Uh, she has her own, uh, you know, obligations, but also just in terms of, you know, you, you never, you never want to take a, a year off, uh, and let your sort of skills tarnish in addition to, um, just, you know, you, you have a short window as an athlete and you have a short window to make money and Holly's already 34, I believe. And, you know, so, you know, within six to eight months, I think she might be willing to wait. But any longer than that, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend waiting much, much longer for, for Rousey. At that point, you sort of just try and force another fight. And you don't want to stagnate the division either because that that really is the last thing you want to do with such a weak weight class. Um, I want to see whether or not the UFC will try and and put some marketing push behind home as, A, one of the most successful athletes in combat sports, or at least for, for, for women, because she's won boxing championships, high-level women's boxing championships, and she's won a UFC title, of which no fighter, male or female, can claim. I think that's a pretty big marketing point. Uh, but will they have her on talk shows? Will, will, will they try and make that push, have her coast Sports Center, or even Fox Sports Live, if they want to dig, dig down that low? Um, because historically... When you have these big upsets, uh, not too often does the underdog then become the star. So I'm not entirely sure that'll be the case here. Maybe they can get a few fights where she is. She does drum up considerable interest, uh, more so than Cyborg, because Cyborg uh, doesn't speak English too well, and, and Tolm is much more marketable just by being American. You couldn't have put that any more succinctly. I mean, look how long it took Anderson Silva to really carry over with the fans after he beat the crap out of Rich Franklin. Same thing with John Jones, you know. He sort of took the hell, you know, yeah, there were champs in there between Chuck and and John Jones, but nobody really sparkled and shined the way John Jones did uh, from from Chuck. Um, so I, I think that... Especially when he had that look in his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at Hen and, uh, Hen and Barrow and, and Dillashaw. You know, Hen and Barrow uh, went into that second fight as the favorite. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, you know, so I, I firmly agree with you there. Now, uh, last topic on the Holly Holm stuff, and then we have a bonus topic. Last topic here is thoughts on the media's coverage uh, in the lead-in to the fight and the aftermath. Um, I thought the coverage was pretty damn sparkly myself from, from all the outlets. Everybody devoted tons and tons. I mean, we were seeing articles every 15 minutes to 30 minutes. I mean, I think every site was literally running 24-7. Uh, Mike, you know, I this is something that I've noticed uh, really since January with the uh, Jones Cormier fight. I, I think there's been a real maturation process with the media as a whole. Um, you know, I don't know if it's sort of in conjunction with the UFC, uh, you know, with what they're trying to do and present a more professional product, but um, there's been a lot of really good stuff over the last uh, 11 months here, and um, 
you know, leading up into this fight, um, you know, I, I, I've name dropped them already, but Patrick Wyman stuff, uh, Jack Slack stuff, I, I think, uh, really did a great job of breaking the, the fight down itself. Um, but in terms of the coverage overall, especially for these big fights, I, I think we're really seeing, um, the, the, especially the big sites kind of, uh, uh, evolving and, and becoming a, a better product overall. And I also want to make a note here too, cause I very often, uh, uh, criticize him i thought joe rogan did a very good job on saturday at least for the fights that i saw and especially for the main event i thought he did a really great job um during the fight calling the action in terms of uh you know being balanced and and being honest about what was happening in the cage and then his his reaction afterwards i thought was was well done too um and and you know especially since you know we we've seen joe Emotional, you know, emotional, you know, <laughs> crying in front of Rhonda in, in an interview on his podcast and uh, the sort of hyperbole after the, the Betch Cohea fight. But I thought he did a, a fantastic job. And I, I very rarely say that these days. He did a once in an ever job. Yes. Oh, crap. You stole my joke. <laughs> Finally, you're always <laughs> reaching Mencia. into my brain. You're always reaching in there and pulling out my thoughts. I, I, I scooped you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I thought Goldberg, uh, not Goldberg, Goldberg is Goldberg. I thought Joe Rogan did a really good job analyzing the fight. And and he nailed down everything, especially how tired Rousey looked, uh, how often uh, Holm was finding finding the space and timing to to land that left hand. And that's Joe Rogan at his best. Uh, I mean, at at his worst are are, are fights like Aldo against Edgar or, or, or any fight where the underdog does better than expected, and then that's pretty much all he sees. Like Jones Gustafson, especially Jones Gustafson. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as media coverage, I thought everybody did really well. And, and as you guys mentioned, Patrick Wyman, Jack Slack, and let's not forget Jonathan Snowden, also way yep. back in August, I believe, said wrote an article in Bleacher Report saying Holly Holm uh, is very much a, a formidable threat for Ronda Rousey. Uh, I will say... One one scary personal moment is after the knockout had happened. It was what twelve fifty five at, at night, and I'm ready to publish the results right away. And I'm getting the timeout connection. It, the The whole knockout essentially crashed all three uh, MMA sites on SB Nation for a few minutes, <laughs> and I was worried that I had lost everything and I was going to have to rewrite everything from the start. But that that was uh, yeah. As far as traffic for. For at least for us and for Mania and fighting, this was this blew away Mayweather versus Pacquiao, and it blew away every other UFC event ever. Maybe UFC 194 can can drum up some something similar, but I would I wouldn't uh, count on it really. Was it uh, was it trending ahead of Mayweather Pacquiao before the fight, or was yes? It... Wow. Uh, you, really? I yeah, don't... I thought I thought I thought maybe Friday because yeah, during the week it I'm... was pretty slow. Yeah, Friday. I think Friday was a huge day for us. Yeah, the weigh-in stuff the helped weigh-in considerably. Stuff, yeah. That really changed things because, and maybe maybe going back a little bit, the weigh-ins were a major reason people were sort of turning against Rousey because that went viral. It was on ESPN and all those other sports sites. But yeah, yeah on on the day of the fight, it was bigger. It was trending above Mayweather Pacquiao for sure. The other think, person that did a good breakdown was Robin Black. Robin Black did an excellent breakdown, and he yes, literally he called home. it. He called it. I mean, As did Rashad Evans. Yeah. Well, Rashad Evans, that was funny because uh, he was, uh, 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 what was it, Honda Honda Home? 
So, anyways, that's going to bring us here to a point where we're going to throw out the bonus question. And, and that this bonus topic has nothing to do with Ronda Rousey, everything to do with the UFC. Uh, last week, Ramsey Nijem uh, spoke to one of the outlets. I believe it was MMA Fighting. And he talked about... Oh, it was Junkie. Okay, yeah, MMA Junkie. Uh, And he talked about the UFC threatening him to sign the contract. And if he didn't, if he didn't sign the new contract, (laughs) oh my goodness, this is terrible, they would hit him with unfavorable matchups. Thoughts on that, Mike Fagan? Well, I mean, this is where the sport's been trending over the last few years. Um, The the fighters have been losing more and more leverage um, and have seemingly been willing to sort of let that happen. Um, you know, the other thing that Ramsey was talking about was the WADA issue. Uh, I think he was talking about the IVs specifically and, and having to let them know where he is. Um, you know, the people celebrated the, the USADA deal, um, when it, when it happened and, and, you know, it, it was a, it was a sign that the UFC was serious about drug testing in the sport and doping in MMA, but, you know, every other sport in in America, at least the big four, uh, drug testing is is uh, collectively bargained with the unions. And you know, there are things in the procedures that I don't think the fighters would have been willing to give up. I don't think the fighters were are okay with the prohibitive association clause, where if someone tests positive, you can't associate with them at all, whether uh, or at least you know. It could be interpreted that way um, in terms of training with them. In terms of it, come on them. now, that's that, according to the UFC. That's like case by case. It's who they like that you know. Right, and but even you know the IV thing. I I I have a hard time thinking that fighters as a whole collectively were willing to give up IVs. Um, you know that's how a lot of a lot of men and women make weight. Um, you know, and and that's the big story about this quote to me is you know in addition to the the money issue and and uh them basically giving him an offer and saying take it or or leave it um it it goes back to the drug testing and collective bargaining and and you know there's a long road ahead of fighters if they really want to unionize i mean they have to get over the fact that they're classified as independent contractors but um you know this is uh, this is a big issue and you know It'll be very interesting to see if they're willing, if they're willing and or able to to kind of come together because, uh, you know, right now they have they have no leverage at all Un- unless you're a huge star and can kind of uh, pull your weight around a little bit. You know, ninety five percent of that roster has no leverage, and they're they're basically at the mercy of the UFC in terms of you know what they can make. Uh, and now that they don't have sponsorships, they can't you know make it up on their own. Um, so you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, if the fighters can get together and, and, and finally do something in terms of the, their labor rights or and or if we're going to see more uh, fighters moving over to Bellator where, um, you know, Scott Coker is certainly looking for stars and looking to find guys and, and ladies that he can feature. And, you know, you can make extra money uh, in sponsorship and, you, you know, you have the exposure of Spike TV. Yeah, let me read the uh, full quote because I think that's better for our listeners. Uh, Nijem said, I asked for more money and they said, no, this is what you're going to get. This is regards to, to getting a new contract. Uh, and Nijem added, that was that. The next thing you know, I got pulled out and told I was going to get bad matchups. I was given a bad matchup. I don't know if, because Holbrook was a short, Andrew Holbrook who we fought, that was a short notice fight. You got Eric Cook originally. Uh, then he said, I quote unquote lost that fight. 
that last fight. So, okay, so that makes sense, which I feel like was one of the best performances I've had. And as far as the water stuff, he said, after that was the whole water thing. I just don't think I get paid enough to tell someone where I'm at every single day. I'd have to move up a weight class without IVs. It was a lot of things. It was a month later after my fight. If it was because of the fight, I'd have gotten cut right after the fight. But it really wasn't because of that. It's because I refused to sign the water contract and I didn't want to keep losing money. And that's one of the big things to me is people are going, well, don't cheat. Well, it is prize fighting. And some people, I'm not going to accuse Nijim here, but one of the big things with the new stern drug testing policy is that if some fight pass type of fighter fails his drug tests, first offense, that's a two-year ban. Am I, am I correct? Believe yes. it's a two-year ban? Yes, it if is. So that is a huge, huge hit to your career where you essentially can't fight anywhere. And if you're making minimal money, then you, you pretty much got to give up the sport depending on how old you are. Let me, and th- let, let me yeah. ask one real, real quick question to, to add in here for both of you. Um, Mike mentioned collective bargaining, and, and that's a huge point here. If there had been collective bargaining, couldn't it be that they handled their own post, uh, post-weigh-in IVs and resolved this whole situation? What do you mean by that? Well, the UFC, rather than just banning post-weigh-in IVs, they could have had a couple of people on staff issue mm. their own IVs so that these guys wouldn't have had to give up their IVs. Because that's like, a huge sort point. Of- Sort of like how the UFC supplies cut men. Yes. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that certainly could have been an option. Um, that would have, uh, I mean, that would have solved the issue in terms of, you know, the, the, the argument from the USADA and WADA side of the IV ban is, uh, you know, the plasticides can get into your skin and, and that's how they can tell that you've used it. And, uh, you know, they're worried about people basically using IVs to cover up drug use and, and, you know, Maybe that happens. I, I really have no idea. But um, certainly a, a way to sort of come to a compromise was to, would be to have some sort of, um, you know, UFC-supplied, um, you know, nurses uh, who can administer IVs after the weigh-ins. And they could have done that in glass so that if there were plasticites in, in the skin or whatever, it would have been immediately, you know, noticed on a test. So they could have had the UFC hung the old-school glass IVs. Yeah, well, I think that might be what some fighters do, um, you know, going back to the old school way of doing it mm-hmm. because then it's sort of undetectable. Uh, it, you know, that's sort of the hard thing about this issue is if you can get around it, it's really hard to enforce. Um, but, you know, I, again, I, I don't think the fighters would have given up IVs. I, you know, even if, the, even if USADA and WADA presented them with evidence that it could be used to, to mask drug use, I don't think the fighters would have willing to give that up. No, absolutely not. And I, I do want to add, going back to my old point about, yeah, you don't, you don't want to cheat, but it is price fighting. That, that's sort of the incentive where you, you're willing to take that risk in it and sort of hope you pass the drug test because you know that there's very little money in this sport at, at the lower level. And even at the higher level, it makes very little compared to boxing. And I mean, if you want to uh, get twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 win show and that's taken away because of one failed drug test, then that absolutely kills you. And that's something I believe that would not happen 
if this was collectively bargained. And as far as the matchmaking, uh, Steffi, you actually you, you did an interview with uh, John Cholish, who used to be in the UFC a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. John Nash had brought this up in the comments section. You asked Cholish, do you think fighters are worried that they will receive less advantageous matchups or that they might be more likely to be cut if they speak up about certain subjects in public? And Cholish replied, I think you can say that based upon current fighters on the roster that are active and haven't spoken up. It's definitely something they do fear. Uh, I can only speak from my individual experiences, but I do know that there are a lot of fighters that aren't happy with the compensation that they're receiving but will not speak up because they're afraid of what will happen. And Nijem has essentially uh, just proved Cholish's point. Absolutely. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, Mike touched down on, on sponsors. Uh, you know, one thing that was really stood out to me in, in the Twitter comments uh, immediately fo- during the fight, following the fight, etc. Um, Jeremy Stevens, he made this comment about, you know, I sure wish that all of us were allowed to have a second sponsor on our uniforms because, you know, Ronda was sporting the monster energy. Um, that speaks volumes when, when guys are piping up on, on things like that. Now, true, Jeremy Stevens was the only one that I saw pipe up, but he's not a nobody. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, the, the sponsor issue is another, uh, you know, another thing that I don't think the fighters would have gone through with if they were collective bargaining. You know, I, I, I think they, I think the fighters would have been willing to give up some portion of their sponsorships to have a big name brand like Reebok come in and, and design the uniforms. But, you know, if they were negotiating that deal with Reebok or were a part of that negotiation, they wouldn't have gotten the 12 million dollars a year that the UFC got and you know when that deal was first announced and and the the payment system uh you know was released it was very clear that the UFC had undershot under underestimated what they thought their fighters were making and um you know i it, it's just it, it can be very depressing as a fan to sort of watch a an organization like the UFC be be able to continually just take and take and take from the fighters um, who are in this really, you know, rock and hard place position where they're they're independent contractors, so they can't really unionize right now. Um, but there's clearly a lot of discontent. Uh, some of it's bubbling up to the surface. A lot of it is still underneath, um, and they've really, you know, they're really in a, in a hard spot where they they there, there's no short term uh, turnaround. Uh, anything that's going to happen. Uh, is going to happen over the long haul. And it's probably going to take some casualties to get there. Yeah, yeah I, can't, I can't really disagree with that at all. We, it's, it's definitely a, a long-term thing, and you're, you're definitely seeing plenty of pushback. But just it, it needs more notable fighters, I think, to speak up. And uh, when that happens, then things will turn around. Maybe it can get more national attention. But we'll see what goes from there. Mike, it has been a pleasure having you on this uh, special edition of the Three Amigos podcast. Now, before we go, uh, would you like to plug your social media and anything else you do? Yeah, you can reach me on uh, Twitter at It's Mike Fagan. Uh, I write a column at MMASucka.com. You can usually catch me you know, once a week. Uh, also, I am wrapping up my podcast with Matt Roth, uh, Untethered MMA. You can reach us on Twitter at Untethered MMA. Um, we have, I believe, four more shows left uh, before we call it quits. We're going to have our last show uh, the week after Alda McGregor, so we got a, a you know a, 
a really big show to break down, and we'll probably go over the uh, the usual hour. But uh, if you're if you're late to the game, uh, you should you should listen to the last few shows because it's going to be a fun time. Wait, one yeah. more thing. One more yep. thing, Mike. You have this really cool uh, bracket thing. Can could you just tell them about that too? <laughs> I love that. I really do. I've I I wait you not all the time for, for that. I don't know. I, I just don't think about that. Yeah, the uh, I run the MMA tournament of bad. It's a, it's an idea that uh, Brent Brookhouse and I originally uh, started at Bloody Elbow. It was an idea we stole from uh, two local sports radio guys. Um, I run that at mmatob.tumblr.com. It's really a celebration of the worst parts of MMA. And uh, one of the nice things about the growth of the sport over the last couple of years is there's just more opportunities for bad stuff to come out. And, you know, we, we kind of mix in the, the genuinely awful shit uh, like, uh, you know, War Machine and, 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 you know, some of the real, you know, moral just bankruptcy in the sport, but also with a lot of lighthearted stuff. Um, that I, <clears throat> that's the stuff I like the most is just kind of poking fun at some of the, the carnival aspect of the sport. But yeah, mmatob.tumblr.com. That's something I run, uh, throughout the year. Uh, and then in, in March, uh, we hold a big 64, uh, entrant, uh, tournament and kind of figure out what the worst thing in the last year was. Will you be featuring Brazzers comment on, on Ronda Rousey? <laughs> no, someone sent that to me. I, it, that's something that, you know, they, they do stuff like that all the time to kind of get, you know, publicity and, and attention and sort of offering deals to celebrities or hard on their luck and, and trying to get them to do, uh, to do videos. Um, that, that, uh, that's a real borderline thing. Um, a, a good example of something that I'm probably going to throw up, uh, from UFC 193 is the, uh, the, the, Kmart lawn chairs that they were using on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's the that's sort that's of like with the uh, little ties. It, next it was to them. bring your own lawn chair night. Come yeah, on, it's, it's just a perfect sort of thing. You know, it's a huge stadium show. They've got fifty five thousand people. They're making six something million on the gate, and they have you know twenty thousand seats from you know whatever the Australian version. Of Somebody Kmart get is. that captain's chair with the built in beer holder for Mike, please. <laughs> <laughs> Mookie, tell us your your worst moment from UFC 193 and take us on out. Goldberg saying record-setting, Goldberg and Rogan saying record-setting crowd like it was Rain Man. I mean, they said it at least 115 times and it was a record-setting crowd by like 500 and they had to comp a, a good chunk of those tickets. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have broken the record like they had set out to do. Uh, Struve Rolschild as itself could have been a tournament of bad nominee though. That was, that was amazing MMA MMA stuff for heavyweights. Um, Mike, once again, thank you for being on the show. And actually, I'll be on uh, guest hosting with you and Roth on Tuesday's episode. So uh, I'll see you then. And we will be right back with uh, more Three Amigos fun. So there you have it, our mini media blitz featuring Mike Fagan. You can follow Mike on Twitter at It's Mike Fagan. You can follow us on Twitter at It's Three Amigos Pod. Uh, Mookie Alexander at Mookie Alexander. Ian Kidd at Ian Kidd with two Ds. And myself at Crooklyn MMA. You can also follow our Facebook fan page, 
Uh, it's facebook.com forward slash Three Amigos Podcast. If you're looking for us, remember, we have two channels. We rarely use our original channel, which is Three Amigos Podcast from SoundCloud. Uh, all of our content is mostly featured on the MMA Nation name under MMA Nation. So anyways, that'll do it for us this week. Make sure you tune in next week for our regularly scheduled programming.